Third time's a charm. Three is a magic number. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Third Time's a Charm, the show that takes an in-depth look at the third installment of a franchise. This is episode 61, Meatballs 3, and I'm your ghost, I mean host, Mike. Welcome to the lost episode of Third Time's a Charm. Today, my good friend and unofficial co-host, Brian Capital R. Rodriguez, is back, as well as Mr. Larson. But first, a few words. This was recorded in the spring of 2020, set for a summer 2020 release to coincide with the release of episodes of High School Slumber Party and Foodie Films, which both had Larson on as guests and featured either a food in the title of the movie or a raunchy class war backdrop. At the time, I felt I should have had Kyle on this episode as well, considering the foodie nature of the title, but there are no meatballs in the movie and no really good food-based scenes either. So he lucked out in the end. As for what happened to this episode and why it took forever to be released, well, firstly, I thought the files lost forever, but upon searching the dark corners of my hard drive, it was revealed I had saved the audio in the wrong place. Uh, It didn't help I renamed the files by episode number and initials, which made it even harder to locate. Regardless, here it is in all of its glory. General trigger warnings all around, and away we go. third time's a charm it's summertime hope you don't got those summertime blues guys if you do we're here to cheer you up welcome my guests for the day here we have my unofficial co-host returning after a few episodes brian late night high school slumber party rodriguez the principal himself welcome back to the show Glad to be here, Mike. I was originally confused because we had some scheduling snafus. I thought when you were saying yes, you meant no. And I thought every time you were saying no, you meant yes. And I was just lost. So I'm happy to be here now. We are definitely going to get to that and settle the confusion there. Oh, and wait, Brian, I also have to, I just want to quick apologize. This is like two in a row where I've sort of like stabbed you in the back between this and Beverly Hills Cop 3. So I really got to make it up to you. <laughs> You've got major Mike Bucks in your back pocket right now to spend anytime you need. <laughs> you have to, you have to, I'm sorry, marketing wise, you have to make a $3 bill with your face on it and like hand oh, them out. Oh man, look forward to that shirt coming soon. <laughs> Also joining me tonight, he, in one degree, he is my gaming consultant, but he won't, I don't think he'll be getting into any of that tonight, but he was on my great Super Mario Brothers 3 episode. Please welcome back Christian Larson. Welcome back to the show. Mike Manzi, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, and it's uh, even more of a pleasure that you and Brian are both here. So I can't wait to get into this steaming bucket of sleaze. 
And it is no mistake that the three of us are here together tonight. If I had known better, I might have even invited a fourth guest along for the ride. But Larson and Brian, you guys are basically here because you covered a movie over on High School Slumber Party together called Give Me an F during the, is it Give Me an M Mondays are for Cheer <laughs> series? Is that that's what I'd have called it? That's giving me too much credit. No, it was just Cheer Mondays, but that's a good idea. I should have named it that. That sounds better. <laughs> when I sort of caught wind of that, I dug into the uh, box I have of Part 3 films stored in my closet, and I pulled out a VHS copy of something called Meatballs 3. Uh, my mind just went there directly because I feel like the two movies are linked in some ways, uh, along with a lot of other sleaze, as Larson put it. But that is what we are here tonight to discuss, Meatballs 3. This is sort of a companion episode, if you will, to that episode of Give Me an F. But before we get into all this, Brian, um, I have to steal a little bit of your thunder from your show because I actually do have the VHS of Meatballs 3. Nice. Oh, lucky bastard. <laughs> if I may, with your permission, can I read the back of the VHS box? I didn't invent reading, Mike. It's all yours. <laughs> but I don't want to step on your ground. You know, it's your segment. I just wanted... Gimmick infringement. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Here we go. Meatballs 3. This time, our perennial nerd Rudy is up the creek without a paddle. Taking a summer job at a marina, he faces his biggest challenge yet, the conquest of the sensational, quote-unquote, love goddess, playmate Shannon Tweed. But Rudy's got to overcome the ruthless leader of a waterborne band of bikers, humongous Mean Gene. As luck would have it, his plans are heard by Roxy DuJour, played by the fabulous Sally Kellerman, the zany spirit of a deceased porno star, <laughs> out to win her wings to get into heaven. Roxy materializes to help Rudy with his dilemma. Now the outrageous fun begins in this zany new edition of the smash hit comedy. Approximate running time, 95 minutes, International Video Entertainment Incorporated. 1987. <laughs> All rights reserved. There you have it, guys. So let's get into it. First things first, the Meatball series itself. Let's start with Larson over here. What is your history with the Meatball series? There are, to my knowledge, four films, but can you please go into a little bit of your history with the series? Growing up on late night sleazy cable TV, particularly USA Up All Night, which was a show on USA, one of the first staple cable TV networks. Every Friday and Saturday night, starting at 11 o'clock, they would show a double feature of B-movies. Sometimes they were horror, sci-fi, you know, it was always schlock. But every now and then, it would be this kind of sleaze. Actually, a lot of times, it would be this kind of sleaze. This and movies like Give Me an F, for instance. Uh, give Me an F. You guys go into such great depth on the USA Up All Night history over there. It's terrific. Yes. And like a lot of trauma movies I saw for the first time on USA Up All Night. A lot of the uh, Friday the 13th movies I saw for the first time there. But the sleaze is what kept 12, 13-year-old me tuned in. And this was definitely one of them. Meatballs 3 and 4 were staples on USA Up All Night. And recently, only recently... 
I went back and watched Meatballs 1 and 2. And they're, you know, Meatballs, the original, was Bill Murray's kind of breakout film role. And it's kind of a tame summer camp slobs versus snobs movie. Meatballs 2 is yet another kind of tame summer camp movie. But is that the one with the alien? There is an alien in Meatballs 2. Yeah, a.k.a. Space Kid. Yeah, and in the end, like, the bad kid from the wrong side of the tracks has to win a boxing tournament against a kid from the the rich camp across the lake. You know, very standard summer camp movie. But when it gets to Meatballs 3, it doesn't even have anything to do with summer camp anymore. It's almost like they slapped the name on it just to get it made. Well, apparently, this is a direct sequel to Meatballs 1, because Rudy is apparently a character in that movie as a kid, and this is him more grown up. But yes, you're correct. This is not like a summer camp movie whatsoever, which is why, Brian, I was a little confused early on if you wanted to maybe save this for your show, because I don't even know if those first movies are necessarily high school films either. It seems like there's a lot of middle school kids, a lot of adult sort of things going on and it doesn't even take place in school this was quite a shift i guess you could say (laughs) i think this was more directly marketed also to the up all night crowd which was you know even if they didn't know it was going to air there it was a scene it was like an offshoot of the midnight movie in a lot of ways right it was like the midnight vhs movie crowd yeah it was like a like a drive-in movie there were tons of movies like this made in the 80s boner comedies Yeah, and Brian, we've discussed stuff like this with Roger Corman and his legacy of B-movies and drive-in schlock mastery and, you know, but I as well as first saw this during USA Up All Night. We are of the same age. We grew up nearby, even though we were not aware of each other at the time, but I remember Gilbert Gottfried as well. And yeah, this was one of those movies I probably stayed up way too late when I was way too young to see. But Brian, what about yourself? Have you seen all the Meatballs movies? Was this in any of your research? Have you come across these at any point? This is my first Meatballs film, but I am aware of the franchise. And actually, it's somewhat related to this show, Mike. It might have been off-air, but Dan Colon recommended this book to me called Teen Movie Hell by Mike McBeardo McPadden. (laughs) Sorry, I have to read that. But it's this, like weird encyclopedia of schlocky high school and college movies it doesn't have all of them but it has a lot of obscure ones so i'll read through it a lot just to do some research and yeah it has meatballs three it has all the meatballs movies and a little like write-up about them and it has these cool things like under each film like uh things it has in common like meatballs three has virgin i guess these are like tropes right virgin psycho biker dwarf supernatural sex speedboat gang and wet t-shirt contest the author of the book wasn't too happy with this installment but was a fan of some other meatballs and you're right mike supposedly the main character of meatballs 3 is a kid from the first meatballs was he the kid that bill murray takes under his wing yeah if his name is rudy larson you're the only one that's seen it out of the three of us i still haven't seen the bill murray one Yeah, and it's funny because the first time I saw Meatballs, the original, was right when Call Me By Your Name came out, and the relationship between Bill Murray and this Rudy kid was very reminiscent of the relationship in Call Me By Your Name, and I really kind of wanted to recut a trailer. 
from Meatballs set to Sufjan Stevens' music. It's very tender. It's actually very sweet. The tone, I feel like as the 80s progressed, once we got to 86, that is when Hamburger the Movie came out, and it's just sleaze. It's absolute sleaze. And it's a lot of these movies, and and we've talked about it with, with, uh, I've talked about it with Brian, sort of the the 80s kind of uh, created this idyllic version of high school uh, where it was a never-ending party and and it was always like the kids getting one over on the stuffy authority figures and whatnot. This is kind of the summer version of that where it's summertime at the lake, all rules are off, everyone's partying, drinking beers, having sex, and the main character, the nerd needs to fit into this world. I feel like that's kind of a big trope in these 80s movies, is that, like, everyone's having a good time except the nerd. Like, it makes me think, like, was the 80s like this? Was I just too young to see this? This is like a rock and metal version of these types of things, too. Like, this is very, I feel like, Guns N' Roses influenced at the time and things. But also one trope I think that might not be on the list there is just like a summer job or first-time job kind of experience. And certainly being an outsider, right? Like, this takes it to the most menial level. Uh, That's a huge high school theme. And let's get into this cast a little bit because this actor takes this role and crystallizes it in a few years in another movie called Can't Buy Me Love, but we have we have freaking McDreamy here joining us today. I mean, this is Patrick Dempsey's first movie, and, and like it occurred to me, I've probably seen all of his early teen sex comedies because he made like 10 of them. Well, he made one called Loverboy, where uh, I think it took place like in the... Is that the pizza one? Yeah, he might have been a pizza yeah, delivery yeah. boy. He's a pizza delivery boy slash gigolo. There's another one that takes place in like the 50s, I think, or 60s, where at one point he's like locked in an outhouse for a while because girls just throw themselves at him. And this is his first role. It's hilarious. Uh, How do you guys feel about his casting here? I've seen Camp I Me Love, and I knew that he was the hunky doctor in uh, Grey's Anatomy. But to see him as the awkward teenager was pretty interesting. I think he does a pretty good job here. Uh, He's in just about every shot of the movie, which is always taxing. Like, he has to carry the whole thing. Luckily, he's not alone. He's got a co-star, as I mentioned, uh, in the lovely and probably infinitely patient Sally Kellerman, who is also in this movie. I only know her from Back to School, where she plays a college professor there, and my theory is she's doing a Rodney Dangerfield impression during this entire (laughs) movie, and that she picked it up possibly from filming that movie around the same time, or (laughs) knowing that she was going to be around him, but I don't know. What did you guys think now, not just about her? her as an actress but let's just like start talking about the movie we'll talk about her role well i would like to say that i was not expecting her to be as invested in this movie like i originally thought that she would feel like she was slumming it and she would just kind of phone it in but she's kind of playing like this may west old hollywood celebrity and she's doing it really well she's totally invested in this 
she is not treating this like it is beneath her, which she absolutely should be. <laughs> but didn't she just die during the events of the film? Yeah. yeah, like right at the beginning. Why is she behaving like she's in a different decade? I thought she died during a scene. I thought that's what they were saying. Yeah, I mean, she died in the 80s, like, but she always kind of carried herself as this sort of old Hollywood star. You know, that was her character. That was her personality. And and she does it pretty well. One of the things about this movie, I remember watching it on USA Up All Night, and I remember her last film in the movie was a E.T. porn parody, which Patrick Dempsey's character watches on a date with his girlfriend. There's a girl in the movie, like a lot of these 80s movies, there's like a really sweet, good-hearted girl who the hero is supposed to end up with and he doesn't until the very end and they agree to hang out and watch porn together early in the movie (laughs) and they agree to watch this et porn parody and actually there is a et porn parody that this was no doubt based on it is like turkish i believe And it is the most depressing thing you've ever seen in your life. (laughs) Um, I don't recommend looking it up, but if you do, it will eat away a little part of your soul. I thought maybe that would have been a nod to part two when there was an alien involved or something like that. You know, you you would think... What else is really strange about the whole Roxy DeJour storyline, I guess you could say, is it turns it into like a supernatural movie, right? Like this movie, sure enough, could just be Rudy at his summer job, trying to get laid. Maybe he has a best friend that's helping him out, all this kind of stuff. But no, like in this movie, we need to go some extra step where... We'll take a dead actress, or I mean, and then a porn star at that because we're dealing with sex and, and that. I actually think that's actually kind of clever. But while I was watching this movie, I mean, something just like fell on top of my head and hit me like a brick. This is basically a gender swap version of The Heavenly Kid. Is anyone familiar with The Heavenly Kid? Mike. I was just going to say that. You took the words right out of my mouth. Actually, I just recorded that episode with one of my favorite guests, Kate Hudson. We have this thing on my show called The Hudson Five, and it's just five movies she has such nostalgia for. She's like, Brian, you haven't seen it? You have to see it. And that's one of them. And I'm like, I'm watching this. I'm like, I've seen this before. What the hell? And you're absolutely right, Mike. It's the same plot. There's less sex in that one because of the gender swap. Same thing, though. You have It's literally the same thing. A guardian angel comes down. Uh, he has recently died. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. He's the mom's first love. He died in a drag race when they were kids, and she grew up and married someone else and had this son, and he's having troubles with, you know, his social life. And so the ghost of his mom's dead boyfriend... Which you, which you don't know until the end. Like, that's, like, one of the kickers. But quite a double feature we have on our hands now. I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. I've never seen Heavenly Kid. You will love it. Sorry to have just ruined it for you. (laughs) So were either of you guys bummed that there are no meatballs in this movie? (laughs) I actually have no idea why it was called Meatballs from the beginning. Maybe in the original, like some of the campers were called Meatballs. But by the time it gets to the third movie, it's just a branding thing. 
Oh, that's a great call. <laughs> yeah, there's absolutely no other connection. I mean, they yeah. could say, you know, let's change his name to Rudy, and then we could call it, like, then we could say, oh, yeah, of course, like, here's more of a, a reason to call it Meatballs. But I doubt it came across someone's desk with this title on it, right? It was probably just called, <laughs> yeah. like, his summer job or something. Yeah, In fact, exactly. I think there is, like a, there is, like, a sex comedy called Summer Job out there. The subheading is officially meatballs three summer job so who knows yeah but yeah you're absolutely right like there's no meatballs here so it's not a foodie film unfortunately (laughs) i feel like the only way they were able to tie it into the franchise and to keep the name was to make the main character a holdover from a previous film yeah and that is a major thing i've come across all the time and where it's let's go back to part one and mine it for characters or things and let's revive all that for part three you know this this came up a lot in in the beverly hills cop three episode it tends to lead to a certain disaster like it just doesn't seem to work like they either pick the wrong things or there's nothing left uh, on the bone you know because like the stuff that came back in beverly hills cop three from part one is just baffling baffling and and it's sort of the same feeling here so you know i I would have been nice if bill murray ran the biker bar of course but that's not happening in the mid 80s you know if if (laughs) if anything he's responsible for there being more teen ghost comedies because of ghostbusters i mean like what the hell was that even a genre back in the day but like i don't think i don't think it's fair to put ghostbusters and meatballs 3 anywhere near each other i I don't know larson i mean maybe not meatballs 3 but but stuff like heavenly kids stuff like the ghost genre stuff like ghost dad with he who will not be named anymore Bill Cosby. But, um, you know, (laughs) (laughs) were there a lot of films in the 70s and 60s about, you know, not even not even ghosts, but like come like people coming back, but like paranormal at all. Like, I don't know that weren't straight up horror films. I just looked up something quickly just to clarify, by the way, that this Rudy is the kid from the first Meatballs that Bill Murray takes under his wing. So I don't know if that ruins Meatballs 1 for you, Larson, but <laughs> yes, this is the same it Rudy. It kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> but this movie it's really just a cash in on all of the tropes of sleazy 80s B movies. You know, you've got the nonstop partying, you've got the nympho women, you've got the, the unattainable girl that the guy who's way out of her league is trying to get, and you've got gratuitous tits. You know, it's all there, and it has nothing to do with the first two Meatballs movies. Don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. Well, it has one thing, but (laughs) like we said, it was probably done in in retrospect. For the most part, and there is a huge elephant in the room that we have yet to address, so we will get there. And I feel like almost excluding that, this is fairly harmless for the most part. Like, yes, it's oversexed. It got a lot of sort of like fake violence and, and stuff with the biker gang it's got the super jock kind of beer boy bonanza going on all the time 24 7 i mean it's a super party movie you know but at no time do i feel like the movie at the end is saying anything you just saw like you should go out and try like at least i give it sort of that much credit because a lot of things and the thing that we're going to get to is also sort of dispelled in the movie itself at one point we might as well get to it uh does anybody want to start in on basically the worst piece of advice someone has ever probably given anybody in a movie ever. And when I heard it, 
I could never remember what movie this was from. And when I heard it, like I jumped up in the air. I'd always forgotten what, what movie that line was from. Uh, but Roxy DeJour, the ghost, is is helping Rudy try to score. So she's giving him all this like pretty terrible advice or like really super outdated advice because of the different eras that they were born in. And her main piece of advice is no means yes. When a girl says no, she really means yes. And she is really adamant about it. And it is very disturbing, um, at least up until the point when Rudy takes her advice, tries the whole no means yes thing when a girl is into him. He pursues her. She ends up saying no. He keeps persisting. And then she kicks him in the balls and punches him in the face and throws him in the river or something. Uh, so he gets what he deserves. Larson, I know you've seen this movie before. So I want to know your thoughts on, on this when you first saw this. Uh, and then we'll get to Brian, the first time viewer. I will say two things about this. Number one, Roxy DuJour is a product of her times. She's like an old Hollywood person. She's old school. So back in the day, it was the time when like, you know, hard-boiled detectives would slap a dame around, things (laughs) like that. You know, and that's where she's coming from. But the other thing is, and maybe this is just me kind of trying to take a better view of her advice, is she's just telling him to be persistent. Not in a sexual way, but just sort of like, don't get discouraged. Like, if you go up to a girl and she shuts you down, try again. You know, I'd like to think that that's what she's trying to say. I don't know if it is, but that is what I told myself to sort of get past that part of it. Yeah, the movie doesn't really have time to clarify anything. It's just throwing stuff at you left and right, almost as if like each sequence is a new comedy skit. I think what the movie is, is a series of sexual conquests or, or attempted sexual conquests. There's the badass biker girl. There's the girl he ends up ending up in a lake with. Every time it's, it's a humiliating failure. But the biker girl actually is into him once he shows some confidence. And I think that's kind of what she was trying to go for. I could understand. I just wish she had clarified. Yeah, it's a definite oversimplification. I really don't think that what she was trying to go for is that, like, if he he wants to have sex with her and she says no, to go ahead. I don't think that even Roxy DuJour would would be cool with that. But there are a lot of women in his life throughout the film. Yeah, there's the sort of the what they call her the older woman that works there, but she looks to be about 19 or 20. But I guess compared to him, that's older, right? Yeah. He's only supposed to be about 15 or so. <laughs> he probably would have eventually done all right on his own. I mean, in the end, he winds up with the person it seems like he's meant to be with. Um, and it does seem like Roxy feels like her advice, like she's not really taking this seriously anyway for a lot of it, right? Like she just wants to get into heaven. She doesn't really care if it works or not she's just trying to get this kid laid too she's not really invested in him emotionally i think she's very invested i mean like the only way she's gonna get into heaven is if this kid gets laid which is very strange it's questionable why she gives the advice she does i like the the sausage in the leg that would imply it worked on her at one point right and so that's why i'm scratching my head at times brian any thoughts on this sequence here it's a hard sell for me to, you know, be like, oh, she didn't mean to just have sex with this person, even when they say no, when the entire movie is about having sex with someone. So 
I, look, I wasn't like, oh, God, I can't watch this. I'm not saying anything like that. You know, we're, we're three guys talking about this, so we're not, like, probably the most qualified. But I think the real, like, bad thing, if someone's going to look objectively, is not so much what's happening on screen. It's the idea that, like, teenage boys are going to see this and learning that lesson. Like, oh, if she says no, I should just keep going and see what happens. She really means yes. And that's not a good thing, you know? Especially also, like, setting up that all these women are so goddamn horny all the time again i I wasn't offended i'm not saying i was offended but i could see where someone would be like oh wow this is a very unrealistic world to create for a teenage boy not that they cared when they were making it but you know in the eyes of someone who's watching it for the first time now yeah well i mean let's be clear like this whole movie's offensive right on some level and that's sort of the objective here like we're watching meatballs three for christ's sake you know (laughs) and what did i even ask of us at this point but i wish it was trying to be sort of not subversive or anything but more socially aware to some of what it's doing because it could have used that time to like really nail it in that like this is not a good message right it's very bizarre that it's coming from a lady telling him it it would have fit much more in line if this was like one of his friends or something like that you know so you don't listen to don't listen to him or something but you know, they show the consequence of it, okay? So, like, at least he doesn't get away with it, and he doesn't try it again, and he will learn that lesson. But you're right, Brian. Like, there are lots of people in the audience during the 80s that probably watched this and were like, that's what stuck with them. Well, movies like this were adolescent fantasies, and there's so many movies like this from that time. They were written by nerdy guys and they were about nerdy teenagers. And it was all about a world where everyone partied all the time and the women just wanted to have sex all the time. And, you know, something like the movie that Brian and I talked about, Gimme an F, was a movie that had something else to say. But clearly the producers wanted to kind of wedge it into that genre to get it seen because these kind of movies were so popular. These movies where life was a never-ending party and the women would have sex with anyone. This is a movie that really doesn't have much more to say beyond that. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. But there's some inconsistencies too. Like, I found it interesting that... I guess more to your point, Larson, like, she was invested in the kid because she did stop him from having sex with a couple people. Like, there's one, I think, the lady's older, and that's why she says it's not worth it, which, again, it's not a good message either. But I think she actually must have cared about him, because if she just wanted her get him laid, go to heaven card, she just would have made it happen. Yeah, the relationship between her and the kid is actually one of the saving graces of this movie. They actually kind of have a pretty sweet relationship. Well, we know nothing about Rudy. Zero. Like, he shows Mike, up... Mike, Mike, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, Meatballs 1. All of us who've seen Meatballs 1, yeah. <laughs> if you weren't like us and watched all the Meatballs, and you know who Rudy is, like, you're coming to this, and, like, you've got nothing. There's no background. Like, it's inexplicable, like, why he was promised this job from whoever used to work here, and how he knows Wendy and where they're friends from, and why he's over on the lake. Maybe he writes one letter to his mom. I'm not sure. But that's why there's like some kind of bizarre heart to this movie between Roxy and Rudy and that they do sort of end up to be like this very bizarre family sort of unit at the end of it. Like, you know, she gets into heaven and he becomes way more well-adjusted. They go through their certain hell to get there and everything and it's not pretty, but it is kind of conclusive at least. Like, it feels 
finished and wrapped up and like yeah that that feels like okay i buy that like at least right like after all they've been through i get that they actually do care for each other you reminded me of something that he got the job from someone who no, no longer worked there guess who that was supposed to be bill murray's character tripper harrison from meeples i just wanted to do like a deep dive on the film quickly so that's a throwaway line like oh tripper doesn't own this place anymore it's this guy now. oh so. yeah <laughs> crazy i was wondering what that was about i figured they wouldn't have put that line in there if it didn't have some sort of significance i wonder if there's a moment in meatballs where bill murray's telling rudy like you know one day i'm gonna own this crazy bar it's gonna be a roadhouse it's gonna be on the pier (laughs) it's gonna be wet t-shirt contests every night but again that's not the kind of character he was in the first one like he was a lovable loser he was kind of raunchy but he wouldn't have presided over this debauchery <laughs> like and, and that's the thing it's like this is an entirely different tone you know what i think really sort of captured the essence of a lot of these kind of teen comedy I don't want to call them failures that's rude like I don't want to say they're mistakes either or anything but just like attempts let's say like a lot of these movies I feel like a certain series came along and just for me encapsulated all of it with the wet hot American summer movie and TV shows Um, like I feel like that's where this would have gone if people were sort of as comedically aware as we are now like if we had our tastes today back then like meatballs three would probably come out looking way more like wet hot american summer or something along those lines yeah i agreed wholeheartedly i mean if if they were to focus more on the comedy and less on the raunch then it would have been wet hot american summer although wet hot american summer is fucking weird uh and i don't i don't think that would have flown in the mid to late 80s but you guys have talked a lot about Roger Corman and Roger Corman was a guy who knew what was going to sell. And he would say, your movie needs this. It needs this. It needs this. Uh, You can do whatever you want, but you've got to have these elements. And that is exactly what this movie is. You mentioned Corman again, and I think of Death Race, and like that movie's super irreverent, especially for the time. Like, you look at it now, and it's like they were doing like a Simpsons episode in that movie. Like, it's crazy. So, like, I almost wondered, like, if that fell out of fashion or if it was considered too sort of smart and, like, the National Lampoon stuff was sort of starting to fall a little to the wayside, maybe. And and, and that leads me to a question, like, is raunch even fun? Like, does it equal funny? Like, is it comedic just because there's a wet t-shirt contest or some guy gets pantsed or they imply a dude is gonna screw a bull is that what's happening in that sequence i didn't laugh when they went back into the container with the bull and like it seemed like they were gonna do things with the bull but i don't know i know people don't approve of involving animals in film i get that i totally understand but i've never really seen a bull in a film like this (laughs) i was actually fascinated by i've heard of donkey shows right like losing it losing it (laughs) bachelor party you know in the tom tom club both toms have uh been in pursuit of the you know a legendary donkey show of the 80s teen raunch comedy and like here it just feels like that's where they were going with it but they wanted not even to like take it up a level because i don't know maybe you would just at least go to a horse first i'm thinking of clerks too now 
<laughs> but like, yeah, that showed up and I just was like, okay, I, I understand why it's sort of, you know, one of the final jokes of the movie even, but I don't know if I was prepared. Yeah, I mean, Raunch was in style at the time. That was funny. Maybe it wasn't even funny. Maybe it was just, it got people to see the movie. So it didn't matter if it was funny or not. And uh, and again, Kyle and I just watched this movie called Hamburger, the Motion Picture, which is very much along the same lines. Uh, it's It's incredibly raunchy, and you're supposed to think it's funny, but looking back, it's really just kind of creepy and weird. But at the same time, you kind of see that you could have made a funny movie out of this premise. But what the business model at the time was put sex and raunch and, and have nymphos and partying all the time. And that's just the times that they were living in. One thing I'll say that I don't think enough people talk about that like we can't look back on that generation and be like oh we're we're so holier than thou in reality the proliferation of like internet porn has changed a lot of things like there wasn't a lot of ways to get this kind of titillation if you will back then you know you just magazines and movies and you know snuck into things like this now if you want to see a woman's breasts you literally go on your smartphone and find it in 2 seconds that was not the case back then I don't know if we've necessarily evolved. I just think those kind of things don't need to be snuck into media like they used to be. That's a very good point. When when I was 12, 13 years old, seeing this movie on USA Up All Night, even if the boobs were cut out, was the closest thing <laughs> that I would get to a sexy lady. You know, nowadays, it's it's very different. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we think that we're evolved, but really, we're probably even more degenerate than we were in the 80s. The thing that I like about this movie, and and it's sort of, you know, it happens in in Superbad, it happens in a lot of these movies, is that he ends up with the sweet, smart girl that he was supposed to be with all along. It kind of wraps things up in a nice little bow at the end. It's kind of a nice little shower to wash away the filth of the past 95 and a half minutes. So I know we haven't really talked about moments, too many moments from the movie in particular, but what I thought was actually quite clever was the twist of the end where you find out that the sexual object of everyone's obsession the entire summer, that every time someone goes in to have sex with this lady, they are thrown out the window by Mean Jean. Everyone thinks it's Mean Jean's wife. It's his sister. He's protecting his sister from all of the patrons at his bar. I thought that was pretty clever, and I thought that actually diffused a lot of not all of it but I mean it diffused a little sort of of this sort of sadomasochistic you know normalcy you know what I'm saying like it just made that pill a tiny easier bit to swallow yeah I agree with that just she has some weird study attire I'll tell you that much but hey whatever you know you feel comfortable studying in I guess are there any other major moments that really stood out for you guys? I feel like we've cleared the air of a lot of 
the big things on our mind about this movie, but are there any sort of uh, moments, you know, if, whether it just be a straight up something slapstick or a line that you would like to discuss before we wrap up tonight? Well, I, I just wanted to say, uh, you know, I had a, a great conversation with Brian recently about Ferris Bueller and about how that movie kind of represented to me back when I was in elementary and middle school, what this 80s version of high school would be like. And this movie was kind of what I based high school summers to be like. And neither of those things ended up being real. This movie really encapsulates the the 80s fantasy of summer in so many ways. The unattainable 80s fantasy. Brian Rodriguez, I mean, you've come across a lot of this stuff before in a lot of high school films. I mean, this might even be, he might even be in high school. These, he might be high school kids, but it doesn't take place in high school proper. But uh, any any sort of thoughts? I mean, I would still have it qualify, right? Like, it, it's of the age. All right, you could put it out on your feet if you want. I give you permission. No problem. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna steal your thunder that way. I don't want to get too popular, Mike. That's the well. Problem. I gotta. I, I gotta get some of your audience. What are you talking about? We used to be in the same orbit in the Cage Club solar system, and now you've turned into a gas giant, and I'm still one of those like you know really cold planets out in the middle of nowhere, like Neptune or something. But that's not true. You have a top five podcast. Cruise oh, that's Club. true. That's true. I guess I was referring more to this endeavor, the one where <laughs> I where I'm just a man on a raft by myself in the middle of the ocean every week. Fair, fair. Waiting for the uh, river rats to come and uh, spray you with their weight. I love seeing movies like this because they are time capsules and people glorify certain stuff and they kind of put other stuff away in the closet in the back and have it collect dust. So I always like an opportunity to see a film like this. I don't know if everyone's going to enjoy it, and I'm not saying I enjoyed it, but it wasn't one of these things where I was like, like Beverly Hills Cop, legitimately, it was hard to pay attention in such a, such a wonderful setting. <laughs> but this film I was like uh, watching, maybe because I watched so many films like this that I'm just used to the language of it, but I was, you know, wire to wire paying attention. That doesn't mean, like, it was my favorite film at all. I, I was interested in it. it I, I watch it more for, like, the museum aspect, if that makes sense. No, yeah, I see that. I think that could also fall into sort of the nostalgia value of some of these movies as well, uh, especially if you had to watch it the way I made you guys watch it, which was probably like a crappy VHS transfer onto YouTube. That's the only way to watch it, man. And my copy, I think it's the last time it was allowed to be seen because it was like literally the tape was like falling apart uh, as I was watching the movie. <laughs> it's like disintegrating right before my eyes and everything. So I don't know if my copy is going to stand up for an extra viewing. <laughs> There's only one more thing that I really wanted to mention. It's a quick thing. It's not like we're going to like open up a, a box here or anything, but it's kind of funny you just said wire to wire there, Brian, a minute ago, because I want to just mention some of the wire work going on here with Sally Kellerman as a ghost <laughs> and some of the other amazing 80s ghost effects, if we can. I feel like we just need to pay a little more attention to these kinds of things uh, before we sign off for the evening, but... You know, Larson, you talked about her being in this to win this, and I got to agree with you now, like, if for remembering to see, like, they definitely had a crane one day, they definitely put a wire on her, and they definitely dangled her there for, like, eight <laughs> or nine hours, right? And she put up with it, like, she was down. So it was moments like that that you could just be like, I got to watch this, I got to get through this movie just for the cast and crew, just for yeah. what they had to go through. Just because they had to make this, I for have sure. to watch this. 
I mean, I couldn't really notice that kind of stuff on like the transfer. Oh, so it probably looked good for you. Yeah, it was probably it probably looked better than it did for me, <laughs> where you could clearly see like a hook on the back of her dress at one point. But. It's sort of like you know, growing up, I would always watch Airplane on a VHS tape, and there's that scene where he has the disco flashback, where he he sort of does a Russian dance and he juggles balls and he's floating in the air, and it looked so much more impressive. But then you watch it on Blu-ray, and the wires are so clear, and it's like I kind of wish I was watching this on VHS again, and and watching this on YouTube, it really was the best possible way to watch this movie. There, there's something to that, yeah. There, there's really something to that. Um, I think I've talked about this either on air or off air with Joey, or maybe I haven't, or, or maybe we've danced around this, but we talk about uh, movies redistributed by Vinegar Syndrome, which is just like one of these companies that they make 4K restorations. And I'm kind of like, I don't need a 4K restoration of this. I just want a, a way to see it, you know? It wasn't really intended for that. Some things are meant to be seen in the sleaziest possible medium. It was kind of the point. It's Grindhouse, right? Yeah. Like, that's the idea, is, like, everything down to the print needs to be filthy. Well, that that's the thing, is that also, like, a lot of times VHS is, the, um, is taken directly from the print in ways that a 4K or a Blu-ray uh, transfer is not. So a lot of times when you're watching a VHS tape, even though it's probably not in the right aspect ratio, it's as close as you're going to get to watching it in a shitty Times Square movie theater. Absolutely. And that but that was the intention. So in my mind there is value in that as well. It's like almost taking like a Garfield comic from like a, a newspaper, an old newspaper and then making it 3D and and I can you know, I can walk <laughs> into it. Like I don't need that. I don't need that. Yeah. That was never its yeah. intention. Oh, I love it. Well, I think that's a great time for us to wrap this up tonight, but uh, let me thank you both individually. Brian Late Night Slumber Party, Principal, <laughs> unofficial co-host, Rodriguez. Give us some plugs. Give us some, some credits. What's, what's going on there? What's happening over at the old high school during the summertime? Is it on lockdown? You got summer school? What's happening? I just, I just heard your sophomore year extravaganza with your superlatives. Great episode. Great flashback episode. Well, if you listen to that, you would have learned that we're not going to summer school this summer. But I'm making all my sophomores going into junior year earn their keep, starting to pay for things themselves. they got to start to save up for college. So we're all going to take a babysitting job. That's right. Every Monday will be a, a babysitting movie this uh, <laughs> this summer. <laughs> wow. So we have a, we'll have regular movies on Fridays, but Mondays will be all about babysitting. One more thing I wanted to add. One day I'm going to need to call on both of you guys. It's not going to be anytime soon. Hopefully you don't have big families by then or something because I'll really need you. But when I run out of like the, the cluelesses and the 10 things I hate about you, I'll need you guys to help me finish this teen movie hell book and do all these glorious movies like this just so I can complete every single high school film ever made. And, you know, you guys are great for this. You, you know, you're my go-tos for films like this. And, you know, it's an honor being on this episode. Despite what this movie is, I love talking about movies like this. Yeah, maybe we could do a whole offshoot of High School Slumber Party Teen Movie Hell. Or High School Slumber Party Up All Night. It works well. 
Oh, man. I mean, I know that we've all had our own ideas for spinoffs and, and side projects, but doing a USA Up All Night, like, sleaze movie podcast would be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christian Larson, on the one hand, you are my uh, gaming consultant, because you were on my one gaming episode. Uh, I, I feel like, though, you deserve another title for other episodes you're on, like this, for instance. I don't want to call you, like, my sleaze consultant. <laughs> I would gladly. I would gladly take that title. Senor Sleaze. Senor Sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Sleaze. No, it should be Captain Crass. Senor Sleaze, Captain Crass. Larson, if you could please tell us, uh, tell the listeners where else they may find you online. Sure. Well, I mean, I've had so many great conversations with you guys on the Cage Club podcast, um, on Third Time's a Charm, on the high school podcast. On I just recorded a great one with Kyle for Hamburger the Movie for Foodie Films. Captain Good Times Entertainment, you can find me online. Well, guys, I just got to say thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, this I'm glad we found the time to do this. This has been a lot of fun, and it's just another example of, you know, it could not be the best movie, but we could still have a very worthwhile conversation about this and discuss this type of material, you know, even if we don't enjoy it to the max all the time. You know, we didn't sit here and trash it to death for an hour either, so that's good on us. That's not fun. That's just not fun, you know. Yeah, you know, and I feel like I had a really fun time tonight. So thank you very much. Uh, good evening, and I'll talk to you soon. Always great talking to you, Mike and Brian. Have a good one. That's going to do it for another episode of Third Time's a Charm. Thanks as always to my guests. Check out Brian Rodriguez at High School Slumber Party, where our Corey retrospective is starting to wrap up for the year. And also thanks to Larson, who has to come back to talk Lethal Weapon and Death Wish someday. I have not forgotten. New Tom Tom Club slash Cruise Club episode alert. Joey and I have seen and reviewed Top Gun Maverick. So go check that out and check me out and all the back episodes of this show, as well as all the other shows I'm on at cageclub.me or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, no means no. Three, that's the magic number. Three. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three, Three makes double me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?